in God's economy, sustain is eternal. And, and I don't have to assume that things are going to be coming against me. I still need Him to sustain me um, in eternity. Welcome to Extended Conversations in the Word. God has made a way for us to know Him and grow in a relationship with Him through Jesus, the Word made flesh. Our primary means of spiritual growth comes through the study of the Word. It is life-giving, all-sufficient, and our final authority. Hi, this is Jen Pacienza, and I am joined with Rita Cephalou and Allison Sigenthaler for a conversation concerning the sustaining power of the Word. Now, let me start with our English teacher here, Allison. What does it mean to be sustained by something? The word sustain is interesting, as most words are. Sustain can mean to support, to strengthen, like when the presence of a friend sustains you during a challenging time. Sustain can mean to nourish, to feed, as in we talk about our daily sustenance. It can also mean to hold up. Or to endure, like we might say that um, a building sustained heavy winds in a hurricane. Um, It means that the building took those heavy winds, but it remained standing. And then one final one is it can mean to prolong or to continue to keep something ongoing and long term. And bottom line, sustain means to keep something or someone alive for the long term. Mm, That's good. I took a quick glance at the word sustain in the Bible, and I discovered there's about 16 references. It depends, obviously, on the translation that you look at, but some of those we find in the wisdom books, perhaps around 11 um, references to the word sustain. One in the book of Ruth, in Ruth 4, when Ruth says to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer in old age. So not all of the references that I found have to do with being sustained by the word, but perhaps the one that's the most clear was Hebrews 1.3. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. So all of these examples are not referring to the word, but rather being sustained or upheld. So Rita, when we talk about being sustained by the word, is it different from the general definition that Allison just shared with us? I think uh, what you just laid out in Hebrews is probably the closest to what you're thinking about. But what Allison put forth is it's very close in scripture as well to, I predominantly the work of Christ in his creating and sustaining of the world. Um, Let me give you an example first from the Hebrew language. You have Exodus 28.30, where you have the word Nassah, it's a Hebrew term, for bearing the names of the children of Israel before the Lord. So there's sort of this mediatorial role that Aaron plays there as a high priest. You have the idea of Moses complaining of the burden of the Lord, uh, that he had to carry all these people as their mediator. mediator. So this idea of bearing that Allison was sharing. And then significantly, we have the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, where he is said to carry or bear our griefs and our sorrows. But to your point, in Hebrews 1, 3, 
we have the first part of that verse, and he, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, the Father's glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. So this Greek term here is to cause to continue by sustaining or maintaining a state. So in other words, Jesus dynamically holding together everything that has been created through him. And so you can even see that a mediatorial role there as well. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think about the women here at Coal Ridge who have just completed this study in the Gospel of John. Now, we don't read the word sustain in this gospel, but we do read about the characteristic or the attribute of the word and its sustaining power. Unlike the synoptic gospels in Matthew and Luke, we read genealogy in the beginning of this gospel. And in Mark, it opens up with the adult life of Jesus. But in John's gospel, it goes back to creation. So if we want to maybe open our Bibles and look at John 1, we go to the prologue or the foyer of the gospel, and we read about this word in creation. So John 1, 1 through 4, we read that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him. Not anything was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, when I read the word here in John 1, this isn't the Bible we have in our hands today that existed in the beginning. So who are we reading about, Rita, when we read was with God and was God? Well, yes, John actually uses the term logos, um, which may be familiar to some people. And uh, a lot of people have asked, well, I wonder where John got that idea from, this idea that Jesus is actually, well, I'm already telling you who it is, Jesus is actually the one who is called the Word. He's the logos. And John highlights this. He says, in the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God. So we have two people, if you will, in the beginning who are both God. The Word was God also. And then John says again in verse 2, just so we didn't miss it, he was in the beginning with God. So we have very clearly here then this idea of the Father and this person called the Logos, who is Christ, Jesus Christ, as, as John will go on to show in his gospel. Um, and so a lot of people have asked, well, what is this idea, Logos, the Greek Logos? What is John's idea when he brings forth this idea? And um, just to make it simple, I think the simplest version would be Isaiah 55 speaks of the Word of God. The same word is used there in the Hebrew, uh, Greek translation of the Hebrew text, um, where God will send forth his word, who will accomplish his purposes, and then return back to the Father, if you will. So John's concept of logos is probably really the word of God. So wherever we have in the Old Testament, God has been speaking through his pre-incarnate Son, through the mediation of the Holy Spirit, through the prophets, and it's now inscripturated for us uh, in the word. And this word now becomes flesh. This is what John is telling us here. So John is recognizing that there is an order to the world, but rather than it being impersonal, we see this personal being, mm -hmm. um, a special revelation that Jesus is a man, the logos, the logos is a man. Mm -hmm. um, and that 
announcing perhaps that we can have a relationship with God, would you say? Absolutely. In fact, he might have been playing on the Greek idea of what logos was, which is uh, impersonal reason, sort of the the one that holds all the intelligible universe together is a sort of impersonal force called the logos, word, reason. But we find here that this, so he's probably speaking to a Greek audience there, but, but it's much more personal than that impersonal idea. This is a person. This is God's son who becomes one of us so that we could have a relationship with him. So when we read this uh, beginning, it, it reminds me of Genesis uh, 1, where we see the, we come into the created order and God speaks life into existence. We read about darkness over the earth and um, that Jesus is the word uh, portrayed here. John likes to compare and contrast two things and he reveals Jesus or portrays him as the light. And we read that the word as light broke into the darkness and brought about a new beginning. Um, do you think that's a close connection to when we read this to Genesis? Absolutely. In fact, we need this uh, to look back at Genesis and give us further clarity with respect to what's going on there. So you have God, the Father, as we know now in New Testament, the Father of the Son, who speaks and everything comes into being. So he speaks, the mediating agent of creation is his word, we learn now that word is a person, it's his son. And then we also see in the first opening chapters of Genesis, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is hovering over the face of the deep, waiting to bring life, light and life to this world. Mm. So you have the beautiful picture of a tr the Trinity there. John gives us that insight as we read Genesis 1, 1 through 3, in light of John. Yes, yeah, so we get a picture of the Trinity here. We get a picture of the Father and the Son face to face, that the Word was with God. They are continually face to face. We see the one true God, but three persons perhaps as we look at this. And we get this picture going back to Genesis that the word breaks forth into the darkness. Mm -hmm. And I guess it maybe is a point here in John 1, 4, when it, we read about that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We get this idea that light naturally overcomes or dispels darkness. Mm -hmm. And all of our hearts without the light of the gospel are without a desire for the things of God. And so we all need... Um, the light mm. to dispel the darkness of our hearts that do not have a desire for the one true God. Mm -hmm. um, we move quickly from seeing this idea of the word um, in creation to the word becoming flesh. A few verses into John 1, John 1, 14, we read that the word um, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We get this idea of the word tabernacling or pitching his tent. Do you want to help us understand that a little bit? Sure. And I just wanted to um, highlight that beautiful, what you just shared about the light coming into our hearts. It reminded me of 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God has said, let light, light shine into the darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So I just, that came to mind when you're saying that. And I think so, we're going to see that as we keep looking through John's gospel too, of the 
regeneration mm-hmm. or the rebirth mm-hmm. and recreating mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. that this word brings. Beautiful. So yeah, so this beautiful word, who is the pre-incarnate son of God, Jesus, comes into our world. The word becomes flesh and dwells, as you rightly call the Greek word there is tabernacled among us. Now that's an unusual word. You wouldn't expect to see that word for just coming and dwelling or being among us. And so we also have this reference also to this idea of grace upon grace versus the law that was given through Moses. So there's a clear connection here between Moses and the tabernacle and this word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And so what we have here is, there's a lot to say here, but I'll just cut it in a a simple way, is that the tabernacle was representative of of the cosmos. It was a scaled down version of creation. And this is true not just for Israel, but also for the ancient Near Eastern worldview. They believe that the temple was a microcosm of the macrocosmos. And so here we have this idea of... The place where God would meet with his people. Where he would dwell with his people, where where he would live among his people. And so, um, so here what we have is, in the Old Testament, you have God tabernacling in the tent, if you will. He gave Moses instructions on how to build that, sectioned off against the people because of the fall. I mean, they could not approach him apart from sacrifice and so forth in the priesthood. But here now you have the actual Son of God coming to dwell amongst the people. It's um, as if it's the connecting place, right, where heaven right. comes to earth. Right. Yes. So as we move just a little bit further in John 1, we get to verse 18 and we hear that no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known that Jesus has come the word to make the Father known, the one and only Son or the one of a kind Son. Um, It makes us think of how he reveals him or I guess his special revelation. Mm-hmm. In fact, an interesting word there in verse 18 would be um, that he, he actually, as he has explained him in my New American Standard Version, um, again, the Greek word is unusual, it's exegeted him. Yes. And so that would be this idea of interpreting him. Interpreting so, God to us. Yeah, so yes. so Jesus himself will say in John's gospel, right? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So everything Jesus says, everything he does, he's always in sync with the Father. So if we want to know who the invisible God is like, the Father, all we have to do is look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, when I ponder this great big topic of being sustained by the word. I usually think of having to be sustained by something because I'm deficient in a category in my life or in in a need for something. But in John's gospel, if we're point if he's pointing out that the word was in the beginning, before sin and death entered the world, then our need to be sustained by the word is not a result of sin. Rather God created us to depend on him. Mm-hmm. And isn't this a glimpse then of where we're headed, Mm -hmm. that even when sin and death has been done away with forever, we will still be sustained by the word. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, because if you look at the four general definitions of the word sustain given to us in this fallen world, they all assume that there is sin and fallenness coming against us. But Mm -hmm. what you're teaching us is that 
in God's economy, sustain is eternal. And and I don't have to assume that things are going to be coming against me. I still need him to sustain me um, in eternity. That's beautiful. He created us with a need, and we will throughout all eternity. I had never thought of it that way before. Now, as we get a glimpse of the life promised to us in Jesus, we will be sustained by the word in our glorified state when sin and death has been done away with. Um, We really witness this in the Gospel of John, but it always is a good practice to study Scripture, interpreting with more Scripture. So is there a parallel passage to the sustaining power of the Word in creation that comes to mind? We've already seen Hebrews, of course. Um, I wanted to just back up just a little bit to say something about, to both of your points, very beautiful insight about the idea of being sustained by the Word for all eternity because we will always need to be sustained because we still are creatures. We are created by God and we are sustained by Him. We need Him. So He is the only one that has life in Himself, mm-hmm. eternality. So even in our eternal state, we will still be dependent upon Him because we don't have life in ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So, what um, a comfort that is mm-hmm. for it, today, totally. but for always, right? <laughs> yeah. So the other passage I was thinking besides Hebrews that you so rightly pointed out, is Colossians 1, 15 through 20 in particular. Um, And again, it's a sustaining power of God is seen, his word is seen clearly in the person of Jesus Christ, the person and work of Christ. And so we learned in John 1, 1 through 4 that the word of God is a person, a person who not only created everything, but in whom all things are held together. That's what Colossians tells us. so this is the idea of sustaining. Again, the Greek word there is literally means to hold everything together according to its proper ordering. So that's a really beautiful thought. Again, this idea of logos, the, the, the impersonal reason, but this is a personal being who's holding everything together according to its proper relationships, each and every relationship in order. And so the pre-incarnate, only begotten of the Father, this is Jesus, is the one who is doing this, even after the fall, and despite the fall. And so here we have also in Colossians 1, the beauty of redemption, which the Apostle Paul tells us is the forgiveness of sins. Jesus became one of us, not only to reconcile us, but to reconcile the entire created order back to God. So the term also refers to bringing something back into its former state of harmony, And this Jesus does by making peace. This is the reestablishing the harmonious order of things through the blood of his cross. So it's a very personal thing as well. Mm The same thing is in mind in Hebrews 3, uh, 1, 3, where, where it says, When he had made purification for sins, speaking of Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. So it's a done deal for all of us who are in Christ but we still have to wait patiently for the final outcome when Jesus comes to usher in a new creation. Well, as I'm listening to you talk, I think about a little moment I had in my household this weekend. So I still have small children and you know, the lights go off at night. It's time to be quiet. It's time to be in bed and we're scared of the dark. And so, you know, you do all the things we pray. We, you know, we remember God never sleeps 
And one of my children said to me, Mom, you can't just send me to bed and tell me to pray. So I was pondering being sustained by the word. And I was thinking about this idea that not only the one who sustains you tonight when you're afraid, but the word will sustain you through all of eternity. And when the potential of dark and scary things will be no more in the new creation or the consummation, we will still be sustained by the word. And this is so much more than putting a nightlight in, I think, and (laughs) bedtime prayers, but exposing our little ones to the one who will sustain them forever. And although we can't, we don't have the power to change their hearts, but pointing them to the one who will sustain their hearts through all eternity. You have been listening to an extended conversation in the word. Join us next time as we continue our discussion on the sustaining power of the word. This recording was produced by Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. It serves as an equipping tool for women who study God's Word.